I'm humbled to be invited to stand behind this pulpit. And uh, honestly, privileged to be here. And uh, we've, we've been here since March, and I'm telling you what, God has blessed me so mightily, um, wonderfully great here. And uh, I've made a lot of great friends. And, your name. We bless you. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, we thank you for the grace that you've given to us. We thank you for the Spirit of God that lives within each and every one of our hearts. Father, we thank you for the power that you give to us each and every day, each and every minute, Lord. And we ask that you would touch our hearts this evening as you would uh, give me the words to speak, uh, follow the uh, the outline, the best that I can that you've given to me, Lord, and I just thank you for all that you're going to do. I pray for each and every individual here today, Lord, that they would be inspired and, and blessed by the by your words tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. When I started about two weeks ago, Amanda called or texted me and asked me if I would be willing to speak tonight. And I said, yeah. Yeah. And she said I had 35 minutes. So I got a little bit longer. She said I got to 5 after 8, so I got a little bit longer than that. But as I was preparing my message, I had written down all my notes, and it was about like 9, 10 pages long. And I'm thinking, how am I going to preach 9 or 10 pages in 25, 35 minutes? So what I did was really smart. I typed them up, single space, and it's only three and a half pages. So I think I can do this tonight. Amen. Preacher, preacher logic. Is that what that is? I'd like to share a little bit about my testimony. I got saved when I was about 24, 25 years old. I was in the United States Air Force, stationed over in southern Italy. He had to get me out of country in order to save me, in order to get my attention. And he did, and I really appreciated that because I really enjoyed Italy. When I was there for, for three and a half years, I, I enjoyed traveling around Europe and everything. But I think he started calling me years and years before because something happened to me when I was about 15 years old. My cousin on my dad's side was in the Navy, and he came over to our house. We lived in Orange Park. He was stationed at NAS, <clears throat> and he brought us beer. And you don't give a 15-year-old kid beer. And he, we were all drinking, having a good old time, right in the front yard of my house in Orange Park off of Blanding Boulevard. And somebody called the cops. And I, I don't know if Rich remembers this or not, but I, we all, I mean, it was like rats in the light. We all ran different directions. I ran back, I went up the street and down a dirt road. Where I live now, it's all developed. But back then, it was just a dirt road went to nowhere. So I'm running my tail off, and I get off the path. And you know what? Of the eight or ten kids that were there that day, do you know who he followed? Me. Down that dirt path, just wide enough for his police car. Lights are, lights are going and all that. So I'm about 30 or 40 yards in the woods. I'm ducking in under palmetto bushes hurt and scratch my back and all that kind of stuff. And I'm thinking to myself, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Fifteen years old I am. I'm committing my heart without even knowing it. Well, he, he really took a hold of my heart when I was in the Air Force in Southern Italy. He showed me that I was really bad. I was really a sinner. And I thought I was a good old guy because I was raised in church. Man, I even got confirmed and baptized and all that cool stuff. And I was lost. And he showed me through a friend in the Air Force that I needed to have a Savior. People were doing two things for me then. Somebody was praying for me. And somebody was witnessing to me. And the name of my message was... Uh, <clears throat> this evening is let the message flow. Can anybody guess what that message might be? The message of the gospel. Let it flow. Let it flow. Let it flow. 
the first time that I had an opportunity. I had gotten saved the last week in November of 1978, 39 years ago. And I had a, I mean, I had a hankering. This was in December now, by, by this time. Man, I just wanted to tell somebody. I just, I've been reading the Bible every day. I couldn't get enough of the Word of God. And I just wanted to tell somebody. Well, I heard about this guy on the base in Italy. We lived on the same on the same base, in fact, in the same dorm building that we lived. He had been arrested for having possession of marijuana at the time on the military base. So he was arrested. He, he was going to be shipped back and discharged, dishonorably discharged. So while he was on house arrest, I got this great idea. I'm going to go witness to this guy. He can't go anywhere. He's got to listen to me. It doesn't matter what I say to him. He's got to listen. So he had two guards sitting at his, at his door. I mean, they were serious about this back then in the, in the mid-'70s. And so I asked the guard if I could go in and see I, Tony. I, I'll say his name is Tony. He's from New York. And I was able to share the gospel with him. I don't think he got saved. I don't remember if he got saved or not. But that was the first person I ever witnessed to. And let me tell you, I was scared to death. Scared me. I didn't know what I was going to say to him. I didn't know the Bible verses that I thought I should know. I didn't know anything hardly about the Bible or how to be a witness. I just knew God wanted me to tell him. So I told him. And I had no idea whatever happened to him. He got shipped out and discharged. I was working at Prudential when I got out of the service, going to college. Driving a truck from downtown building to Atlantic Boulevard building. I was a mail runner and a people runner. They had to go back and forth to the two buildings. Well, they were a captive audience. Everybody that got in that van got the gospel. First of all, I was listening to Christian radio. Secondly, when they got out of the car, they knew I was a fanatic. I was a Bible thumper. I was crazy off my rocker. I did that for a whole year. Led several people to Christ during that time. About six or eight months into the, into the job during college, my supervisor, I'll never forget her, her name was, her name was uh, Rose Fox, and uh, she said, got to in my office, excuse my ball, my supervisor, she goes, Stephen, we need complaints about you, and I said, yeah, what about, <laughs> like I didn't know, and she said, people have been complaining about your preaching, I said, okay, I've been told, thank you, I walked away, and you know what, for the next six months until I was ready to quit, I did, the, I kept doing the same thing. And, but she had been told that they needed to talk to me. And I'm not saying to not do what you're supposed to do at work, but I just felt like I had the freedom to do that. And people, by, t- by that time anyway, people were expecting it anyway because just about everybody that I had already given rides to were just continuing needing rides. So they knew what to expect. <clears throat> Another time I, I was um, a missionary here in Jacksonville, from First Baptist, it's called the Bold Mission Thrust. And by this time, I've been growing a little bit in the Lord, and He'd been, he'd been giving me opportunities. So, what we were doing in this Bold Mission project was just going from literally going from door to door, sharing the gospel at every apartment in Jacksonville. And this is in the early '80s. At the time, there was about 150,000 families living in apartment complexes in Jacksonville. There's probably triple that now. But at the time, this was back in the mid-early 80s, that's a whole lot of people. Anyway, I went to this one guy's house. It wasn't always apartments. Sometimes we'd go in the neighborhoods, too. I went into this neighborhood one day on Beach Boulevard, and I knocked at the door, and this surfer-looking dude came to the door. And I led him to Christ, shared the gospel with him. Didn't even walk in in his house. He came to church Sunday, got baptized Sunday night, and started really developing the Lord and, and, and just just progressing in his faith. And then it was great. It was wonderful. Those kinds of testimonies are wonderful, aren't they? If you know somebody you've had an impact in in their life, you know that that's a great thing. Well, I saw this guy grow and grow and grow. And he met this girl. <clears throat> and they started dating and all that kind of stuff. And she told me, just before he was getting rid he told me, that he had to go back to Colorado because he was under a warrant. He had escaped to Florida about a year earlier. So he, he was under conviction. God 
moved him back to Colorado. He turned himself into the jail. He lived, he lived the next eight months in prison winning people to Christ. His girlfriend told me that he's leading people to Christ all the time. He is having Bible studies in the, in the lockup and everything. He was doing great. And by that time, I don't know, I don't, I don't think I ever saw him again. But I tell you what, it made me feel really good. One day I was playing tennis. I've only got about 30 or 40 of these testimonies, so just bear with me. One day I was playing tennis with a friend of mine. And there was, it was at night, about 8 o'clock at night, 9 o'clock, whatever it was. Dark out, get the lights on. About 8 or 10, 12 teenagers came and started playing kickball, riding skateboards in the other tennis courts. You know, there, there's two tennis courts per fenced-in area, and they were in the other, other area. So I just, I just got this burning for me. And I said, hey, Randy, I've got to go do this for just a second. And so he said, okay. So I went over there for the next 45 minutes. He had left about five minutes into this because he knew I wasn't coming back. Eight of ten of those kids prayed and received Christ. And by the time I was done, one, of the, one or two of the kids had left. And went and got his daddy. And I'm thinking, oh gosh, what about I don't get beat up for this? You know, I'm thinking, and this guy's pretty big. And he says, You had a conversation with my son? I said, Yeah. He told me. What'd you tell him? I told him about Jesus and the gospel. I don't remember if he got saved or not, but he said, Thank you. When I walked away. Amazing how God works in a life. Amazing how God will work in your life when you experience opportunities and challenges like that. It's amazing. And I'm just a regular guy. Really, there's nothing special about me. I, had a, uh, I was a, a Florida missionary uh, back in 81. It was for a summer. And my partner and I, I'm like 25 years old at the time. My partner was really old. He was 35. Well, the first or second day he got there, he led this guy to the Lord. The guy was literally an illiterate. He could not read. He could read the word hamburger, hot dog, french fries. He was that kind of function. That was the level of his function. That's all he could, Coca-Cola, beer, whatever. That, that's all he could really read. He was functionally illiterate. He could not read a sentence. This is a true story. He picked up a King James Bible, and he read it like he'd been reading for years. Couldn't read a novel, couldn't read a poem. But he, he picked up the Bible, and he read the Bible. Another uh, situation happened. God got saved at First Baptist. He couldn't read either. At least that's what they told me. I didn't know the guy, but they told me that he would hitchhike. And he would get picked up by these guys, these people. And he would say, hey, listen, I, I can't read very well. Would you read this track to me and tell me what it says? And they would stop and they would read this track, this gospel track to him. And he said, wouldn't you like to know Jesus as your Savior? And from, from what I understand, this guy was leading people to Christ all the time. Ordinary people. Ordinary individual. What kind of potential do we have? I went to this one house while I was a missionary. It's an apartment complex. This guy had just moved down here from Atlanta, Georgia. <clears throat> and he, he let us in. He let me and my partner in. Because we told him we were from First Baptist. And we're just out here taking surveys and that, that kind of stuff. So he let us in. All he had in his whole house, in his front room anyway, was a... Um, a pillow and a small table about a foot and a half off the ground that he ate with. He sat on the pillow to eat his meals and stuff. And he said, can I tell you something? I've been, I've been here two weeks. I haven't made a friend. But I've been praying that God, this is true. I, I, this I will never, ever forget as long as I live. He said, I've been praying to God that he would bring somebody to tell me how to get saved. Are you available? Are you ready? We're all ready. 
you're saved, you're ready. Because you know what people want to hear? That, yeah, knowing the verses and knowing the stories in the Bible and all that stuff is really good. And you need to know those anyway, because they're really interesting and there's a lot of stuff in it. But, man, people want to know that you care. People want to know that you're concerned about them and their heart and their soul and their eternity. I'm going to tell you one more story. We lived up in Pennsylvania for a long time, 17 years. And we had some really cold winters up in Pennsylvania. And this winter was one of the worst. It was February, January or February night, about 9.30 in the evening. I'm sitting in my recliner, my sweats, also known as pajamas. And I'm ready to kick off. I'm watching football to sleep for the night. It was a Saturday night. <clears throat> Got a call. This is so-and-so. My grandfather is dying. He's in the house right now. Would you come and pray for me? Yeah, sure. Got her address. Got all that information. Hung up the phone and said, oh. Oh, Lord, honestly, I was struggling with that because I didn't want to go out. And it was raining, mind you, freezing rain, black ice, all the whole works. It was a mess outside. The place was about 10 miles from where I lived. Got in the car, drove over there, pouring rain. I parked maybe 10 feet from the front door. By the time I got out of my car to the front door, I was literally soaking wet. There wasn't a dry part on me. It was raining that hard. Got in the house. There's 16 people in the house, ranging in age from 8 or 10 to 45, 50 years old. She introduced me to all of them. Don't even ask me to remember their names, but that's impossible for me. So, they said, would you like to go see my dad and my grandfather? Yeah, okay, okay. He's sitting there almost in a comatose. In fact, he wasn't coma. He wasn't responding. He was not awake. So I sat down next to him and just started talking to him. And I said, can you hear me? And he, I'm holding his hand. I said, just squeeze my hand if you can hear me. And he squeezed my hand. Just ever so lightly. You could feel it. You know how you, when you're holding somebody's hand, you could feel it twitch. There's a squeeze. And so, by that time, all 16 people, 15 or 16 people, came in and were standing around the room. And I shared the gospel with this dying man. And he died the next day, actually. I asked him if he would receive Christ to me. And he squeezed my hand. And I prayed. Every, every phrase or two, I would stop and say, Do you hear me? And squeeze me. And then at the end, I prayed with him. And I said, Do you agree with that? Do you believe that in your heart? He squeezed my hand. And I said, Praise God. And then I turned around to the group. And they're all around me. I mean, there's, it's, a, it's a pretty large room. There's 16 people in the room. Because most of them heard what I shared with this old man. And I shared it briefly again with them. Do you want to know Jesus as your Savior? And every one of them said, yes. I said, raise your hand if you want to know Christ. Every one of them raised their hand. Every one of them got saved that night. Several of them started going to the church. Don't know what happened to the rest of them, but praise God. My wife led a lady to the Lord, and... I know I said that was my last story, didn't I? One more. My wife, Yolanda, led a lady to the Lord, and she turned around, led her mother and father to the Lord. I was able to lead her brothers and her sisters and some of her cousins. About 25 people in that family got saved, and they're still serving God. We were up in Pennsylvania a couple months ago, back in um, the summer, I guess, um, um, just before Irma hit, and we went to church. I mean, half the family's still there. And the other half the family's going to church somewhere else. It's amazing. 
We do not know the potential that God has for each and every one of, the, of us, for one thing, but we don't know the potential that, that God has for those people who are getting saved. Amen? <clears throat> Think of the potential that we unleash when we lead someone to Christ. Billy Graham. Wow. James Robinson. Anybody heard of Reinhard Bunke? Oh, man. This guy is amazing. Out in South America and Africa. And I think he's just retired recently. But, man, I'm telling you what. That guy was leading people to Christ by a gazillion. And you know what? As I was thinking about some of these evangelists and some of the churches that are, that are growing or that people are really getting closer to the Lord, we expect God to work. You, we need to expect God to work. We need to expect Him to heal. We need to expect Him to deliver. We need to expect Him to win people to Christ through us. We need to expect answers to prayer. You know, a lot of times we pray, hey, I'm guilty of this. Sometimes I pray and think, that ain't ever going to happen. Have you ever prayed like that, Jakey? It ain't never going to happen. We, that's a, we, to, we need to rebuke that spirit. That's going to happen. We need to pray expecting God to move and work in our lives. Proverbs 11.30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And I look at it this way. Every, every soul you win to Christ or everybody that gets saved is a leaf on that tree. An eternal leaf. That's not really probably theologically what it means, but that's just the way I'm visualizing it. And he who wins souls is wise. You know, that word win literally means take. And you know what it reminds me of? When, I, when the rapture happens and the Lord's taking me to heaven, I'm going to have two lost, two souls that I just led to Christ in my hand going up with me. I'm taking two souls with me. Isaiah 52, verse 7 says, How lovely or how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, Your God reigns. Your God is king. You know what? I've seen some pretty gnarly feet in my life. But you know what? It doesn't matter what they look like. It doesn't matter what we see. If they're sharing the gospel, they're beautiful. They're lovely. They're wonderful. Because of the message that they bring. We need to remember that. Let's remember the demoniac who's delivered from a legion of demons. small. I, I wrote notes on here too. So. Luke 28, or Luke 8, 38 says, but the man from whom the demons had gone out was begging him. That he was begging Jesus that he might accompany him. And he wanted to follow Jesus, didn't he? He wanted to be there. He wanted to sit at his feet for the rest of his days, I bet you. But he sent him away, saying, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming, shouting throughout the whole city what great things God has done for him. Jesus did four things to him that moment. Four things. There's probably other things you could probably glean from it. But the four things that I was thinking about when I, when I was writing this stuff up, he delivered him from a legion of demons. That's a bunch. Isn't that 200, Jakey? The legion, 200 or more? Demons? Found out. But, there, but that's a lot of demons. That's, a, that's a, an armory of demons, an army of demons that was possessing this guy. So what Jesus did then, he delivered them, but he healed them physically, and he put them back in his right mind. A moment late, in a moment, in a moment of time. It doesn't say they took him to the hospital to get healed from all the uh, 
uh, the bangs up that he was that he was in. He didn't go out and buy a, a new suit of clothes. They gave him clothes to wear. He was in his right mind. He he was so in his right mind that he wanted to sit at the feet of Jesus and learn from him. <clears throat> so he not only delivered him, he saved him to the uttermost. I believe he poured out his spirit on that man right there. Because of what Jesus called him to do that very next day. God gave him a purpose and a mission to accomplish for his life. God sent him forward. And that reminds me of another day. Matthew, chapter 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, spoke to the disciples and the apostles, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples. What he, meaning, what he means is, go bear fruit. Make new Christians. Lead people to Christ. Give them the good news of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the, even to the end of the age. Man. You know, we don't have to worry about God leaving us. What we need to worry about sometimes is us leaving him. Us falling down on the job, if you will. And because he's always going to be there for us, isn't he? He's always going to be ready to pick us back up. He's always going to be ready to, to, to shake, the, um, to shake the, the dust off our knees if we fall. Just like our mama's work. When we witness... In Ephesians chapter 6, in verse 19, Paul asks this question. Paul tells us that he wants, this is important, that he wants us to pray for him, that utterance may be given to him, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We need to pray for lost people. We need to pray for those saved people that are out sharing the gospel. We may not know somebody personally, but you might know somebody who might be on a missions trip, having opportunity. You might know a neighbor. You might know a friend. Pray for me to be more bold. Pray for yourself to be more bold. That's why I gave you, I handed out those little sheets. Because when we're done tonight, it's about nine. What I'm going to do with those sheets when we're done, so I want you to think of somebody that needs to be saved. Just a first name. I don't care about a last name. If you have a last name, you can put it if you want. But all, I, all I'm asking you is put the first name down. And I'm going to ask to collect those uh, when we're done. This is a personal, witnessing soul winning is a personal responsibility that we must take very seriously. Paul did. Three things, three things that witnessing will do to us and for us. You ready? The first thing that witnessing will do to us is it will get us out of our comfort zone. You know that night that I was out, that I was asked to go out in the cold weather, I didn't want to get out. I didn't want to go out that night. gets us out of our comfort zone. Sometimes it seems to put the fear of God in us, doesn't it? Because a lot of times we don't know what we're going to say. I had no idea what I was going into when I went in there. Most of the time when I go knocking on doors or when I share the gospel with somebody, I have no idea how they're going to react. One time I was witnessing and I walked, in, walked up to an apartment door. Nobody answered the door. And a guy, small, puny-looking guy, probably thought he was a lot tougher than he, than he was, came running around, this is true, came running around the corner, I'm staying right here at the door, he came running around the corner, he was, he was ready to, he was ready to do the top of him. 
he stopped this far from me. Well, actually, this far, because that's about where his face was. And he, he stopped. Just as calm. And I said, hello. I'm from First Baptist Church. He said, oh, I thought you were such and such from so-and-so. I don't remember what he said. But I said, no, I'm just here to, uh, to give you this track and to share the gospel with you and invite you to church. He says, well, not today. So he walked in the door. I was at a friend's house one time. And those kinds of reactions don't happen very often. They really don't. So don't be afraid that it's going to happen to you. I guess it depends on which part of town you're in, but don't worry about it so much. Um, I was at a friend's house, and this girl came up the steps to the apartment. She had the wrong apartment number, what she had. She knocked at the door, and we were getting ready to eat or whatever it was, and I opened the door for her, to her, because I didn't know what she wanted. <clears throat> she goes, oh, this must not be such and such. I said, no, it's not. But I'd like to share. I said, I don't believe in accidents either. I said, I'd like to share something with you. And I started to pull out a track. I'd like to share the gospel with you if I could. She started cussing. I mean, I thought I had heard it all in the Air Force and, uh, you know, with the military guys. She was cussing. like She started yelling and screaming at me. I mean, like she was possessed. I didn't think of the demoniac then, but I'm thinking about it now. She might have been her. She was a mess, man. She was screaming and yelling and cussing as she was walking down the steps. I looked at my friend's, his name was Steve, too. I said, Steve, how about that? He started laughing. He didn't know what to think. Get out, gets us out of our comfort zone. The second thing, and the fact that it gets us out of our comfort zone, that's good. Isn't, it? isn't that good? To get, to get pulled out of our comfort zone? The second thing that witnessing does gives us an opportunity to share what God has done in our life. Every one of us in here has no excuse because you know what we have behind us besides the Spirit of God living within us? We have a testimony. People, like I said, don't always care how many Bible verses you know. They've heard them all. People don't always care about the stories, but they want to know about your life. They want to know what you've been through. Maybe some of the people that you're thinking about have seen you react to some of the situations in your life. And maybe, just maybe, they're wondering how you got through it so easily. And, and, and you're thinking, it wasn't easy. But see, they didn't see all that, the turmoil that you were experiencing. They just know you got through it and you did it with grace and, and, and peace. Because that's what God has done in our lives, right? He's given us that grace and that peace and that comfort. So people want to know about you. What has God done for you? Oh, man, he saved me to the uttermost. From the guttermost. How about that? He saved me to the uttermost from the guttermost. I just thought about that. That's pretty good, isn't it? Gives us the opportunity to share what God has done in our lives. The mystery of the gospel is often revealed in our own personal testimonies. Our forgiveness, the victory over sin that we experience each and every day. Often we struggle with the same issues that these people we're sharing with struggle with. The third thing that it does, that witnessing does, is that we might bear fruit. Someone just might get saved. Amen? We never know. You know what? All you got to do is ask them. Share the gospel with them. Wouldn't you like to know Jesus as your son? You'd be surprised how many people are waiting for a message just like that. A message of peace where there is only struggle, a message of power where there is only weakness, a message of, of, of glory where there's only anxiety and heartache, a message of, of healing where there's only sickness and disease. Man, that's a good message. Yeah. Our victory over sin, we often struggle with the same issues that they struggle with that we might bear fruit. Somebody might just get saved. Amen and amen. Proverbs says, a man who wins souls is wise. Remember, we are not doing this battle alone. And for some of us, witnessing might be a battle, a real struggle for it. 
Because you're not comfortable doing it. That's good. Get in the battle. Get in the mix. Get out of the dugout. Get off the bench. Any other analogies that we have? Right now? You get there. Hey, all they can say is no. Right? We have the freedom to do what we do to worship and to share the gospel. Now, don't go to Iraq or, or uh, Baghdad and, and do that. don't carry a Bible around those places. You get killed. But here in America, your neighbors, you know, we have that opportunity. All they're going to say is, hey, I'm not interested. Or you don't know that that message has done to me. You know, a lot of people have told me in the past that my, my faith is really personal. And I, you know what? I agree with them. But you know what then I say? If you see the peace in my life, they'll never know that peace until I share it with them. That means from here. That's when they get to know the peace. Is when I tell them about the peace of God that passes all understanding. In Christ Jesus our Lord. <clears throat> We're not going into battle alone. We're tearing down the, the gates of hell and opening the prison cells. Amen? When we witness to somebody, that's exactly what we're doing. We're not just knocking on the door and making hey, let me in. We are literally tearing down the gate to get in. When we share the gospel, that's a powerful message. That's a powerful story that we have. It's a powerful testimony that we can share with a lost person who's behind that gate, who's behind that cell. And when we go in there and we tear the doors off of the hinges, the locks are broken. There's no reason for them to stay in there. Jesus didn't said many great things in his earthly ministry. He said in John 14, most assuredly, truly, truly, I say, most assuredly I say unto you, he who believes in me the works that I do, he will also do. And greater works than these he will do because I go to the Father. You know, I believe winning a soul is one of the greatest things a human being can do, can, can be a part of. One of the things winning a soul. I've got to tell you that. It's him. One of the greatest. God, Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost, right? When we share the gospel, we're passing that message. We're leading people to Christ. We're not saving them, of course. But that's one of the greatest things we can do. You know, it's better than healing. It's better even than bringing back from the dead. You know why? Because that person may die physically. Lazarus died the second time, right? Can you imagine what Lazarus was thinking when, he, when Jesus brought him back the first time? Lord, why did you bring me back, man? It was beautiful up there. I wanted to stay up there. I don't know if you said that or something. Just a, a vision thing, a visual thing. <clears throat> Winning souls is one of the greatest things we ought to and should be doing on a regular basis. Just think that every time you witness, you are pounding on the gates of hell. Every time you win a soul, you are defeating death, hell, and the grave. As I was writing this down, I was thinking, you ever seen that? TWD, you know TWD stands for? You guys aren't with it if you don't know what that means. The Walking Dead. You've seen, have you ever seen that show, The Walking Dead? You know, these, these, people, these dead guys are living, they're walking around like this. That's the crazy visual I got when, when I think about being a Christian and a lost and dying world. Except we have the message that are going to bring them back to life, real life. Saved life. Paul's asking, praying is the great up. Uh, praying plays a great part in witnessing. Without prayer, there is no power or authority or fruit. And most importantly, there's no victory. You know, when every one of you got saved in your life, I don't know when it was, it doesn't matter. But every one of us in here that's saved, somebody was praying for us, right? Somebody had to be praying for us. And also, somebody had to be telling us. Somebody told me about the gospel. I was raised in church. 
I never heard the gospel in church. I heard about it, but I never heard it. I never came. They never said, hey, make this decision. It was always, hey, if you come to church here, you're it. You're in. If you get, if you do this and you do that, you're in. But I wasn't in. I was way out. Way out. There, somewhere. I was the walking dead. What, we, what happens when we, when we pray or when we're praying for somebody to get saved? What happens when somebody gets an opportunity to witness to that person? Let me tell you what happens. The, uh, Paul was praying for the, for the right words to, be, to speak. And oftentimes when I go into a witness situation, I don't know what he's saying. I just have to tell you about you sometimes. A lot of times, I, I love a script. I use a little track a lot of times. Very concise. Takes about five minutes to go through with it with somebody. And there's simple directions. And about about twenty of these that I would give out and share with somebody, four to six people would say, That's a pretty good record, isn't it? Try it. You'll like it. If you if you're comfortable with script, this is really easy, really simple. There's a couple different ones I use, but that's the one. I, what's one of them that I really like? Paul was praying not only for the words to speak, but he was also praying for courage to speak. Some people tend to intimidate us, don't they? Yes, they do. Also, when we when we ask for prayer to, as witnesses, when we get prayer, uh, it's to be given the knowledge of the mystery of the gospel to clearly explain it. I don't know how many times, how many people I've witnessed to. That I know as I've walked away, man, I really knew that. I should have said this or I should have said that. You always evaluate yourself sometimes after you leave a situation like that. I do. Prayer does three things when you're, um, when you're praying for someone else. First of all, when you're praying for a soul, what it does, it annihilates the, dis- the distance. In other words, it breaks down the, the border. I'll pray for, a, for somebody on a missions trip. Somebody was bringing up uh, Michael, somebody, black missionary uh, from another church going to South America, I think. He's leaves 24 years old. I've been praying for him every day. I don't know him. I never met him. Saw a picture on Facebook, and that was all I know. That's all I got. But he's going on a missions trip. He's 24 years old. He's been saved about a year or two. Loves the Lord. Been, been praying for him. Every, he's on my prayer list. So is Jakey. So are, are many of you in here. And I don't always have you down by name, but I, I know faces and I remember faces sometimes. And I pray for them. But I, I pray for people like that. That God will give them courage and protection and strength and wisdom and words and peace and, and purity and all that other cool stuff that, that we need to have as Christians. So it breaks down the distance, the border. There's no border with prayer, is there? Paul was in chains in Rome, and he was asking the Ephesian church to pray for him that he would be an wit- effective witness in the jail cell, in the, in the rented apartment. But he had guards outside, and he was seeing people continually all day long, witnessing to him. How many of the guards did he lead to Christ? How many of the king's household did he lead to Christ while he was in jail? We all know someone somewhere we can pray for. A missionary, a Christian soldier stationed away from you. Pray for that. Put him on your prayers. First, the second thing prayer does is it annihilates the dread. Paul was in a prison cell. How do you think he felt? Sometimes I feel dread. <laughs> Sometimes. And, and I know when I pray, that dread just falls away. I know when I'm being prayed for. The third thing that prayer does, it uh, annihilates the difficulty in sharing the gospel with someone. Here goes. It's difficult sometimes to pray, to witness to somebody that doesn't have the open heart or the soft heart. So what prayer does, it breaks down and weakens man's dullness of hearing and inability to understand. They understand. They may make the wrong decision. 
And every time you witness, I don't want you to forget this, every time you bring a witness, they make a decision. Whether they're going to follow you or follow the, the gospel, or they're not. They make a decision. That's something we don't get out. They didn't make the, they didn't make the decision. Yeah, they did make a decision. The wrong one, but they made a decision. Breaks down the weak, it breaks down and weakens man's dull, dull, dullness of, of hearing and inability to understand. That's God's job. He does that. And he does a really good job of it, too. Uh, <clears throat> and that's done through prayer. Paul's words needed to be full of God's power. Our words need to be full of God's power when we speak. The hearer's ears and the hearts needed to be perceptive to his words. They need to understand what's going to be what's being said. These needs can only be met through prayer. <clears throat> I'm going to read this last paragraph, and then I'm done. I'm going to share what I want you to do with this little cards. We are ambassadors for Christ and his kingdom. We must use the armor and the weapons he provides for us effectively if we are going to be victorious Christian soldiers. And it doesn't matter if our legs are infirm. We can be courageous, victorious Christian soldiers. Yet last week, my knees hurt. My, my right knee hurt so bad, I almost cried. It hurt so bad. I could barely walk. I left work, and I begged uh, an orthopedic guy to see my knees. I begged. I, I didn't beg. I called to see my knees. So, and cortisone works for me. I'm telling you, my knee feels so good right now. <laughs> my knee is high, actually. Uh, we are going to be victorious Christian soldiers and warriors. God wants us to. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you for the power in it. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity because of it. And Lord, we ask that you would use each one of us. That you would bring us out of our shame. That you would touch our hearts in a special way and guide us and direct us and move and work in us. Help us to be sensitive by your Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just take this opportunity right now to pray over each and every person who here this night that you would touch each of our hearts. Help us to be sensitive to your moving and leading to people that we might know that we do know that need to be saved. In Jesus' name. Those pieces of paper that I gave you, those three by five cards. All I want you to do on that <clears throat> is write the name, the first name of the person that you want to say. And I'm going to pray for those. I'm going to pray for them. But I don't want you to forget the name that you wrote down. So if you want, you can write the name on one side or and then write the same name on the other side and just tear the card in half so you, can, so you won't forget to pray for that person. And here's something else I want you to do. In the next week or two, I didn't say the next year, did I? I said the next week or two. I want you to try to have an opportunity to talk to that person. Share the gospel with them. Go to the Christian bookstore and buy a gospel tree. Buy a couple of them. Hey, when I got saved, before I got saved, I would go to work almost every morning and there'd be another uh, chick track. Remember the chick tracks back in the day? Do you remember chick tracks? Have more stories, cartoons, they're like comic books. I lived, after about a week, I started living for those things. I started, man, couldn't wait to get to work to have another one. I'm serious. And so what I did, every, I was, was doing it, but they knew it was affecting me. Because the next, every time I'd get one of these chick tracks, I'd put it, I'd put it in the drawer. And so it'd be there tomorrow. Well, you know, there was not. Some, somebody took it and put another one on the desk. Different one. So for about two or three months, I got different so finally, I ordered a whole package of them. I got them all. <laughs> I don't know where they're at now. I think I gave them all away. That was back then. But man, I'll tell you what. I got the power of the gospel. So what I'd like you to do is just come and just rest them on the, on the altar here. And I want to have a final closing prayer. If 
you if you rest those pieces of paper on the altar right here, right here, on the ground here. Should have said, put them on here. I don't, I don't have to. I don't know if I want to bend all the way down to the, the front. <laughs> I will. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we thank you. These names represent the heart each individual in this room. And I saw a card go down. I had about 20 names on it. It's okay. Each one represents the heart of everyone I've seen. And we lift up these names to you, Father. And we ask that you would save these people to the uttermost. Fill them with your spirit. Bring healing, deliverance, and blessing, and baptism to their lives. Lord, we thank you for dying on the cross for us, for the forgiveness that you that we enjoy each and every day, for your grace and your peace and your power. We look forward, Lord, to seeing you move and work in our hearts and in our lives. Guide us today. Give us the courage to go out and talk to each and every person on this list. Those people who brought these names up know who they are. That you would bring blessing to their homes, to their families. That the peace that passes all understanding will be exhibited in their lives and change those around them and change those around them and change those around them. Father, let it begin here, and let it end in glory, in Jesus' name.